SBS Radio. SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. You're with Bertrand Tumendame, and I'm very happy to be with you this Wednesday afternoon. Now, coming up in your program today, well, I'll be joined by Ellie Lang and David Hardy, and together we'll explore a ceremony, a new book, launched just yesterday. Ceremony is the second book in the Welcome to Our Country series, co-written with Adam Goods, and it celebrates the change of season and ancient cultural practice of the Anyamatna people, commonly pronounced Anyamatna. Sorry if I got that wrong, but it's also a culture that shared many other Aboriginal clan groups around Australia, a book about culture and language. Also coming up, as campaigning for the upcoming federal election with politicians and their respective parties keep presenting their policies and try to sway voters to vote for them, well, as part of our coverage of uh, the election campaign, today we look at a particular category of voters and their needs. First-time voters, those who are eligible to vote for the very first time. We also have a story brought to us by NITV's Point, The Point program about the Dondale Juvenile Detention Centre, the infamous centre that uh, well brought some shocking news to us about four years ago, displaying uh, mistreatment and shocking abuse of detainees, predominantly Indigenous youth. Well, despite a Royal Commission recommendation, the centre is still open four years after the abuse was exposed. This will be coming to you in the programme after the latest news on NITV Radio. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Bulletin community groups bring self-determination for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the electoral campaign. And Labour reveals it won't plan a review to increase the job seeker rate. And a 70-year-old man has died while waiting for treatment at a hospital in regional Victoria. Self-determination for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is a key area community groups are demanding improvements in. If Labour wins the election, it's committed to hold a referendum on an, on an Indigenous voice to Parliament within its first term of government, consulting with First Nations people about the timing and detail of the poll. While the coalition is also committed to recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the constitution, it is yet to set a date. The Uluru statement from the Heart leadership says a referendum should be held on one of two significant dates for First Nations people, the 27th of May 2023 or the 27th of January 2024. 
Kobo woman, Professor Megan Davis, co-chair of the Uluru Dialogue, stresses an Indigenous voice is long overdue. The issue is really clear for us, and that is we are not at the table when laws and policies are made about our communities and our lives. It's a really fundamental point that Australians are connecting with and have for five years. You know, the most recent absurd example of this is the rollout of the vaccine where nobody in the Commonwealth bureaucracy thought for one second or the state and territories that you needed an Indigenous person at the table. And this is after closing the gap, iteration number two um, was negotiated. Sophie Trevitt, Executive Director of First Nations-led justice organisation Change the Record, says addressing the systemic drivers of disadvantage among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities is also a need to be a, that needs to be a priority for the government. Those are things like decent affordable housing, social security payments that are above the poverty line, that First Nations legal and family violence prevention services are adequately funded, and specific measures around justice reform and black deaths in custody. And what we saw um, from the budget was that none of these key areas were addressed in in any sort of um, meaningful way. The Federal Court has recognised the Waka Waka people's native title claims in southern Queensland after a lengthy legal battle. The group are the third largest Aboriginal community in Queensland and they first lodged a native title claim back in 1997. Justice Darryl Langia says the native title recognition will help this indigenous community both survive and thrive. The included areas are northeast of Dalby as well as an area west of Madborough and Gympie. A powerful Northern Territory Land Council has raised concerns over low voter enrollment in many indigenous communities. Direct automatic enrollment using data from Centrelink, the Australian Tax Office and motor vehicle registries has been implemented across the country to add voters to the electoral roll. But the Northern Territory Council says as many as 40,000 people could uh, could have been left off the roll in the Northern Territory because the Australian Electoral Commission hasn't applied the policy in remote Aboriginal communities. It means about 30% of eligible residents aren't registered to vote just six weeks out from the federal poll. A new survey has found primary school children in Australia would rather learn a local indigenous language than Japanese, Mandarin, French, Italian, German or Indonesian. The Children's Voice survey from Know Your Country also reveals a majority of parents feel it's much more important to learn about Australia's First Nations peoples and their culture in school than ancient Egypt. 85% 85% of children surveyed overall say they, they enjoy learning about First Nations peoples and cultures, which increases to 92% for those who have direct contact from local member of the Indigenous community. Labor announced last month it would commit $14 million over three years to employ a First Nations language and culture teacher in 60 schools if it wins government at the upcoming election. And Lep is focusing on health policy on day three of the election campaign targeting Liberal health marginal seats in Melbourne. The opposition has announced a $135 million plan to open 50 urgent care clinics across Australia to ease the burden on hospitals and GPs. But Labor has also revealed it won't plan a review to increase the job seeker rate, which currently stands at $46 a day, a figure advocates say is well below the poverty line. Leader Anthony Albanese says this could be reviewed later. 
every time uh, governments do a budget, they should look at uh, what is uh, responsible and uh, do what they can to help those in need. If we are fortunate enough to form government, uh, we will form government at a time where debt's heading towards a trillion dollars, uh, whereby you can't repair all of the damage or do everything that you want to do uh, immediately. You'll be fiscally responsible. The Smart Energy Council has criticised the federal government's announcement of $250 million to oil refineries to strengthen Australia's fuel supply. The industry body, which advocates for renewable energy, hydrogen and electric vehicles and zero transmission transport, says Australia only has enough petrol and diesel to last two to three weeks with the country's national fuel reserves located in Texas and USA. Smart Energy Council Chief Executive John Grimes told SBS News that the funding will not address Australia's ongoing fuel security crisis. Well, that's really a drop in the ocean. If we were to get serious about stockpiling the fuel that we needed, it would cost billions and billions and billions of dollars. Sure, you know, um, funding for short-term solutions is fine, but the long-term solution to this, it's a structural problem. We need to remove our dependence on foreign petrol and diesel, and we need to become more self-sufficient in the fuel that we create. The Disability Royal Commission has heard disturbing evidence about the extent of neglect and abuse in supported employment settings. Catherine McAlpine from Inclusion Australia says one of the rationalists for the birth of selected workshops workshops in the 1950s was the disabled people would be safer there than in mainstream employment. But Ms McAlpine says experience has shown that this is not the case. What they do is provide settings where support workers can exploit people, where people can be, um, you know, experience violence and abuse, and that it's just hidden. People are routinely not listened to. They're routinely not taken seriously. And and then when they are, no action is taken. The Royal Commission has also heard evidence that people with disability are working for wages that equal as little as $2.27 per hour. A 70-year-old man has died while in the care of paramedics as he waited for treatment at a hospital in regional Victoria. The patient was transferred to Bensdale Regional Health on Monday but died on a stretcher from cardiac arrest. Ambulance Victoria says it is working with the hospital to review the case and it's believed no beds were free at the time. The ambulance union says the emergency department was overwhelmed and a three to four hour wait is uncommon in the regions. Ukrainian community organizations are questioning why the federal government will not provide support groups with a list of people arriving into Australia who are escaping the conflict in Ukraine. The Australian Federation of Ukrainian Organizations has established a database for people to register for support once they arrive after identifying a gap in the system and a lack of direct government help. Yana Slipetsky from the Association of Ukrainians in Victoria has told SBS News that although the government has been fast with tourist visas, new arrivals are still searching for housing and work. She says once the government grants humanitarian visa access for Ukrainians, they'll have the right to work in Australia. They have no access to Centrelink Medicare. They don't have the right to work. And uh, this has created a little bit of a, um, a flow-on effect. The Home Affairs Department has been contacted for a response.
U.S. President Joe Biden is expected to announce further military assistance to Ukraine, equivalent to $1 billion in its fight against the Russian invasion. Addressing the rising fuel costs that have resulted from Russia's attacks and subsequent sanctions on its oil exports, Mr. Biden has for the first time described the Kremlin's actions in Ukraine as a genocide. I'm doing everything within my power by executive orders to bring down the price and address the Putin price hike. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide in a half a world away. Mr. Biden is addressing the U.S. oil shortage by authorizing release of one million barrels per day for the next six months from the country's strategic petroleum reserves. Legislators from the ousted Imran Khan's political party have quit en masse from the lower house of parliament as the National Assembly confirmed Shahbaz Sharif as Pakistan's new prime minister. The new leader is the younger brother of three-time president Nawaz Sharif, who was barred by the Supreme Court in 2017 from holding public office and then went abroad for medical treatment after serving just a few months of a 10-year jail sentence on corruption charges. Senior leader of the Rik and Shaf party, Shah Mahmoud Qureshi, said the members of Khan's party did not recognize his election as legitimate. With the consultation of our leader Imran Khan, we colleagues of the Turek e Insaf party decided not to participate in this unjustified election process and are announcing a resignation from the National Assembly seats. It's feared that the mass resignation could unleash further political turmoil following an already week-long constitutional crisis that climaxed on Sunday when Mr. Khan lost a no-confidence vote. And back home, delays in the claims process for Defence Force veterans has been linked to higher suicide rates amongst injured former and current members. The Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide has been told that paper Paper pushing at the Department of Veterans Affairs is slowing the claims process, leading to delays and frustration as injured veterans await the finalization of claims sometimes for years. Monique Hamilton from the Department of Defense says there has been a move away from an entirely paper-driven claims system in a bid to improve processing times, but more than two-thirds of records are still to be digitized. She told the inquiry it will take years to complete the process because of the age of the paperwork. These files um, date back some time. The paper is not all uniform. Uh, it has faded over time. The, the state of the files is, is varied. Um, so it takes on average seven hours to digitise a member's file. Uh, where they've served 30 to 40 years, it can take upward of 20 hours. And to sport, Andrew McDonald has been announced as the new coach of the Australian men's cricket team. After an impressive impressive interim stint in the position, where he guided Australia to a Test Series 1-0 win against Pakistan, McDonald has been officially offered a four-year contract. The former all-rounder, who played four tests in 2009, replaced Justin Langer in February after the Australian greats' messy departure from the coaching role. McDonald joined Australia's coaching team as Langer's senior assistant in 2019 after leading Victoria and the Melbourne Renegades to titles in 2018 and 2019.
And now, having a look at the weather around the country, this Wednesday afternoon, Broome, a sunny day, 36, Perth, partly cloudy, 25, Adelaide, similar conditions, 25, Melbourne, partly cloudy, 18, Hobart, much the same, 19, Albury, Wodonga, sunny day, 22, Canberra, a shower of 2, 19, Wollongong, showers easing, 20, Sydney, showers, 22, Newcastle, showers, 23, Brisbane, a mostly sunny day, 30, Townsville, mostly sunny, 31, Cairns, a shower of 2, 31, Alice Springs, sunny, 35, Darwin, a shower of 2, and possible storm on the top of 34 degrees, and the Torres Strait Islands, mostly cloudy day, on the top of 31. And that is NITV Radio News. on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Still to come on NITV Radio, while we explore a ceremony, a new book by Adam Goods, Ellie Lang and uh, David Hardy, a book that explores ceremony and language and culture. And as the electoral com- campaign, the campaign for the electoral elections uh, goes on, we look at a particular section of the electorate uh, this week: the faster time voters. These are voters who are not eligible to vote. Last time we had federal elections, and we look at their needs today. We also have news about the Dondell Detention Center, Juvenile Detention Center. Well, four years after really shocking mistreatment of detainees, predominantly indigenous youth, was revealed. Well, the detention center is still open four years on. This is a story we'll be looking at in a moment. Let's first start with the book ceremony that was launched yesterday in a conversation with Ellie Lang and David Hardy. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Ceremony is the second book in the Welcome to Our Country series, co-written by Adam Goods and Ellie Lang and illustrated by David Hardy. The book Ceremony is a celebration of the change of season and the ancient cultural practices of the Adnyamadna people and many other Aboriginal clan groups around Australia. In the sidelines of the launch of Ceremony this Tuesday, April 12, I'm joined on NITV Radio by Ellie Lang and David Hardy to explore this exciting new children's book. Welcome to NITV Radio, Ellie and David. Thank you so much for having us. Good to be here. The first book in this series of books was launched last year with um, was Somebody's Land and was a runaway success around the country. And after this phenomenal success, Ceremony is now being launched, promising to be another hit with children, parents and families across the country. So before we explore this new book, can you tell us about yourselves and how you embarked on this publishing project? Starting with you, Ellie. Well, thank you for having us, us both on. So a little bit about me. I, I live in Sydney, in um, the northern beaches of Sydney, Garamagal land. I uh, have two little boys six and three now, uh, and um, I, I work in communications. I was a journalist for many years. I, in fact, worked for SBS for a short period um, in my life. So this whole series came about for me when a number of years ago now, my eldest son, Harvey, who was about three at the time, um, and like a lot of kids around Australia, goes to 
daycare or was going to daycare and preschool. And he came home and we were sitting around the dinner table and out of the blue, he, he recited an acknowledgement of country, which of course happens quite a lot in daycare settings and preschool settings and school settings around the country these days. I was really taken aback by it and I was quite emotional about it. What overcame me in that moment was this incredible sense of hope for our future, that he was a three-year-old boy saying these words that were, you know, very important and very special. He probably didn't fully appreciate what he was saying at all, but that one day he would. And it prompted me, um, because my generation um, and and as a non-Indigenous Australian, you know, we were just not exposed Um, we we didn't have the education as young people about our Aboriginal history, um, about our country's truth. And and, and so I thought, oh, look, I'll I'll see if I can go and find a book that Harvey and I can read together um, about this and and then so I could continue that conversation with him. But I also knew of Adam Goods. So I had been a journalist for many years and my husband had worked at the Sydney Swans for many years where Adam had played football so I thought, oh, you know, I'll just call, I'll just call Goodsy and, and, and ask him if he knows of any good books or had any thoughts. And then so Adam and I connected and we knew of each other. We weren't great friends, but we knew who each other were. And because we'd met at events and I'd covered stories of his when I was a reporter and the like. And I said, look, Adam, this is just what's happened. It's really incredible. Do you know of any good books? And then, by the way, have you ever thought about writing one? And he said, in, you know, he said, well, yes, Ellie, I have. Because in that moment, he had his first daughter, Adelaide, who was about seven months old at the time. So he was in this stage of his life where he had become a dad. He was doing a lot of reading to Adelaide. I was doing a lot of reading to my boys. We loved reading. Well, we love reading. We love great stories. We know what kids like in a story. And we started talking about well, what a book might look like. And then here we are. You know, and, um, and, and Adam really wanted to do not just one but a series because there are so many stories to tell. So here we are launching book two, as you say, Ceremony. Yeah, Ceremony is a very beautiful book. I've had a chance to get my review copy. But before we dive into this book, Ceremony, David, could you tell us a bit about yourself as well? We already know you a bit as a... Uh, First and foremost, as an illustrator with a stellar career with uh, Disney. I live in Sylvania, which is the southern suburbs of Sydney, uh, Darawal country. Yeah, and I lived in the Philippines for three, three years. I worked on uh, two films for Disney overseas, and that's where I met my wife. She's, she was one of the artists uh, that we worked together on Fox and the Hound 2. I've got two kids. Yeah, Summer's 10, Caden is 15. No, so he's taller than me. He always looks down on me, looks over me. But yeah, <laughs> so I'm a traditional uh, 2D animator. So I used to draw on paper. So after that all uh, finished and uh, came back to Australia, I still wanted to be creative and I still was pretty stubborn. I, I wanted to use a pencil. I didn't want to go down the computer way of, of doing things. So I decided to write a book myself, you know, just working out all different art styles, and then I ended up going back to <laughs> computer anyway um, because it was the easiest way of doing things. Like I've got a tablet, which it's basically doing it traditionally just on a, on a tablet. Um, it's easier that way because if you make a mistake, you can just undo rather than, you know, also get a canvas out and start again. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so then I, was, I started getting into the, you know, did a couple of books here and there and 
and finally got a call from uh, Ellen and Unwin and they said, oh, you know, like, are you interested in, in doing a book? And I was like, well, I mean, it does take a lot of time because I work full time as, as an artist. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, like I've, I've basically had enough and they told me what it was about and like no names were brought up yet. And, you know, it's about, you know, when the white people first came to Australia and I was just like, wow, like that's, that's like really important, especially for me being an Aboriginal man myself. Uh, and my mother, like, going through, you know, the stolen generation. So I, I mainly did it for her. And then there was just an added bonus when they said, oh, you know, Adam and Ellie had written it. And I was just like, you know, count me in. You know, like, they just told me the, the basis of the story. And I was just like, it's, it's too important for especially a proud Aboriginal man myself. Like, it's, yeah, it's just an honour to be a part of. Yeah, David, I must commend you for the very beautiful drawings, uh, really the grace of the dance moves, uh, beautiful happy kids, actually even happiness oozes out of your drawings. But diving deep into the book, it is not just a book about uh, ceremony as the title implies, it's also a book about celebrating language, Ellie. When we started writing the book, we didn't incorporate language at the first instance. So, but we knew that we, what we wanted in the second book was something that was really fun and a bit cheeky. You know, Adam and I had a conversation about how so many of the um, Aboriginal people that we had met and had in our lives had a really great sense of humour about them and they have a great sense of cheek. And we just thought, well, let's go, let's try and do something that's a bit fun and a bit funny with our second book. And that's what we wanted to do. So we had um, rhyming language as well, which Adam and I both really like reading to our kids. So we wanted to have that great sense of rhythm and rhyme. And the first book, obviously, Somebody's Land, it doesn't rhyme, but there is this great sense of rhythm to it. Um, And so we started doing um, ceremony. And as we were doing it, what was really important was that it's set in Ajnamutna country, where Adam's from, in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. So it was really important that we were um, accurately depicting the, the scene and, and uh, David can talk a little bit more about how he did that and, and how we shared that information with him so he could bring it to life. But so there was a lot of consultation that took place between Adam and his family. There are a lot of phone calls that Adam made and a lot of emails that went back and forth about what would happen here or what would this look like or, you know, I mean, Adam knows his country too, but he really wanted to make sure that he was depicting it as accurately as he possibly could. And then Adam's family back on country um, have developed a dictionary of the local language, of, uh, an Ajnamutna dictionary. And he shared that with me and, and with us and um, it's their way of recording and, and bringing their language back to life and Adam's learning it himself and I came to learn some of the words. And it just happened, I don't know how or why it happened. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Adam said, what, why don't we use some language in it? And then suddenly we just started using more and we were able to replace words you know, r- rather than use the word kangaroo, it's it's ulu in the um in the book, and it was just such an incredible process, and it took quite a t- like quite a long time for it to all come together. But I think giving it that time, giving the time to have conversations with family, makes the book so much richer. And when you read the words out loud, 
it's, it's a fabulous experience for the reader. So, and I came to learn some of the words. So you'll see on, you know, one of the early pages talks about some of the birds because the bird life where Adam's from is incredible. And when you see the word wakala, which is the crow, Adam would sort of say it as it sounds. So, uh, you know, it's the wakala, wakala, which actually sounds like the the bird itself. So it's just such an amazing um, thing to be able to incorporate Adam's language in this book and give kids that exposure to it, which I, I think is fantastic. Now, David, as I was saying earlier, the joy, the grace of the dance moves and the cheekiness of the kids, these really shine through your illustrations. Tell us about the process that went into depicting these stories so vividly and accurately. Even though it's like a different country from, from where, where I'm from, like I, I'm a Bakinji man myself, so it was pretty tricky, you know, getting the scenery correct and there was a lot of back and forth between myself and Ellie and and Adam and uh, the rest of the team. So yeah, it was it was it was like even the the face painting and like the markings, clothing, like everything. Like it was there was a lot of research that was involved in that. With this book, like ceremony, it's such a fun book. It's great that you know there's language in there, but it's just like you know I had fun drawing this. I was giggling when I was actually painting the it was a little uh, uh, little page in there where. There's a bit of dingo poo incident and, yeah, I was, like, laughing during those kids and, yeah, just having fun with it. Like, you know, like when I went back to my country, like, I used to go there annually, learn about the culture and it's, it's very similar. Like, every, everyone has fun, everyone's smiling, everyone's dancing, laughing. So, yeah, it was really good to, you know, to have that, you know, having experienced that, that helped a lot. And that was uh, David Hardy, an illustrator of Ceremony, the book that was released just yesterday. It's a book co-written by Adam Goods and Ellie Lang. Now, this is a much longer conversation. These are really great storytellers. We really had a very good yarn. We spoke for much longer than what you just heard, but the full conversation will be published on our website, sbs.com.au slash radio shortly after the program. Time for a break, and when we come back, we dive into the electric campaign looking at the needs of first-time voters. Your community, your conversation, NITV Radio. Our next story takes us on the campaign trail, but this time we're not looking at politicians or political parties and what they have to say to try and sway the electorate on their way. We are looking at the other side, voters. Well, with more than half a million Australians eligible to vote for the first time, we're talking about those aged between 18 and 20 years, it will be their first chance to have their say in the electoral process. And this on a national level, some have already had a chance to vote in some states that have had uh, state elections in the past two years. But federally, this is the first time that 18 and 20 year olds will be voting. Tis Ochusi looks at uh, the needs and demands of uh, this particular part of uh, the electorate. The youth are rising! It's an election that for many in this group of climate activists comes at a critical time. 
the school strike for climate movement rose to prominence in 2019, gathering momentum after the fires and floods in Australia in recent years. 19-year-old Varsha Yajman has been a key organiser in the movement. She's now working as a paralegal in Sydney and continuing her climate activism. I'm really excited, um, but I think there's also a lot of pressure because it's the first time that a lot of people from my generation are able to vote and it feels like so much of the burden is on us to make the quote-unquote right choice and make the proper choice that is going to give us a safe future. We're, we're already burdened with so much responsibility, but we don't want to exacerbate that in the future. Fellow climate advocate Neve O'Connor-Smith is based in Melbourne and says she finds the government's policies off-putting. I sit here and be like, I don't know what my future looks like. They don't represent what I want and they don't represent like what young people want. Like I don't see anything in any of their policies that is actually going to help me long term or like build community around me um, and help other young people like me um, you know build a future at a training pitch in sydney's inner west though the approaching election isn't front of mind for players i'd have to say i know labor and liberal that's i'm pretty sure scott morrison's liberal yeah, <laughs> that's all I know, yeah, to be honest. You see what you see on like social media and stuff, so I'm probably just going to end up making my decision based on what I'm seeing on, on the internet at the time. I haven't really um, put too much thought into who I'm going to vote for, but when the time comes, I'll do my research and see how I feel about whichever party. Further south in Sydney's Sutherland Shire, the Kurunulla Aboriginal Corporation works as a drop-in centre for the local Indigenous community. The centre relies on the help of youth workers such as 19-year-old Tamika Lee Fitzgerald, who says the young vote might not be the top priority for the major parties. Yeah, I think there could be more to do with youth around Australia, whether that be Indigenous or not. Um, I do tend to think that politicians focus more on middle age rather than youth. but yeah. In Perth, the local Tigrayan community has long been advocating for the government to condemn the Ethiopian government over alleged war crimes in their homeland. 18-year-old biomedical science student Noah Tsahaya has watched the government condemn Russia over its invasion of Ukraine and is disappointed it hasn't done the same over Tigray. I do wish in the future whoever party does um, win the election um, really just condemn the Ethiopian government for what's happening in Tigray. Um, I've seen it's been done with Ukraine within a matter of, you know, 24 hours, but with Tigray it's been over 500 days. At the University of Queensland, students are considering the issues that will drive how they vote. Climate change, 100% climate change. Um, and also I think housing prices um, and rent as well. Rent in, in the city in particular is um, actually crazy and it's very stressful going in, um, trying to become like an adult and not knowing how much time I will need to actually buy a house and settle down. Everyone who studies, you know, they study what they want to do. So it shouldn't be like they're kind of forcing people to choose different career paths just for like um, economic reasons. It should be, you know, study what you want to do because you don't want to live your life working a job that you hate. Senior lecturer in politics at the Australian National University, Dr Jill Shepherd, says the nature of Australia's compulsory voting system means young voters are often overlooked by the major parties. She says it's unsurprising many first-time voters are disengaged from the political system. I think it's the easiest job in the world for uh, the parties to engage younger people 
you know, more than they're doing now because at the moment they're frankly doing nothing. Uh, all they have to do is speak to young people on terms that uh, that appeal to, to them. So talk about climate change, talk about uh, access to education, talk about uh, the, the problems faced by renters and people saving for their first homes. Uh, these are issues that the major parties seem scared to talk about because they will put off older voters and they have to face that risk. The Australian Electoral Commission says at the end of February, there were over 610,000 Australians enrolled to vote aged 18, 19 or 20 years old. Spokesman Evan Eakin Smythe says after the election is called, there are just seven days to enrol. He encourages people to enrol as soon as they can. The message to anyone who is ever listening to us when we talk about enrolment is do it now. It's really easy. You can just go to aec.gov.au. It's a completely online form. You can do it on your mobile phone. It takes about five minutes. A short investment in time for people to contribute to Australia's democratic process. And that report was produced by Tiso Chusi, reporting for SBS News. Time for a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll be looking at the infamous Dondell Detention Centre and how it's still open. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back. Now, a story brought to us by uh, NITV's flagship program, The Point. Well, four years ago, a Royal Commission into Youth Detention in the Northern Territory exposed shocking abuse and mistreatment and recommended the notorious Dondell Youth Detention Centre be closed. But it's still open and numbers of Aboriginal children and teenagers incarcerated there are reportedly living under the government toughened bail laws. For the families of those young people, it's a devastating experience that's led to a major push for change. Most weeks, Donna Hunter makes the drive out to the old Berrima prison on the outskirts of Darwin. She's not visiting anyone inside. So there wasn't 54 attempts at self-harm. She's trying to get the once condemned place shut down for good. It's personal for the Nigana woman. Well, it was that day that we are in the youth court. That's the day he was remanded in Dondale. And all of a sudden, he's not there. He's, he's actually in a cell on his own, scared. He'd be horrified. And that would increase the trauma that he's been suffering. Um, yeah, it just didn't make sense to me, and um, it was just it was just a horrible day that day. An 11-year-old boy was remanded to the Dondale Youth Detention Centre in January on a number of property charges, including stealing. The case is coming up soon. 12. That day, through tears, she had a conversation with Northern Territory lawyer John Lawrence, and a protest movement was born. And from there, that's where we started the movement into closing Dondale. That was the day that we thought it's not good enough for an 11-year-old boy, even a 10-year-old boy, children at all, to go into Dondale. This will never be resolved unless we can, as a group and as a community, change it. John Lawrence SC is now acting for the young boy and is challenging his arrest, arguing he's too young to be held criminally responsible. The Royal Commission recommended the age of criminal responsibility be lifted to at least 12. The law actually is quite humane. It presumes that if you're that young, 
you're not in a position to actually realise that what you're doing is seriously wrong, as in a crime. John Lawrence says the system is broken. It's just getting worse and worse. Recommendations are ignored. Politicians continue to lie, and yet the figures go up. And now we hear of large numbers of self-harm, suicide attempts with children, children who are all already psychologically harmed and being placed in conditions which can only make it worse. Donna Hunter says the former prison is no place for a child. When you get locked up by yourself in a two-by-three cell, I mean a dungeon, it's not a room, in the old Berrima prison, male prison, with a Judas hatch where the food goes in, how can we be so cruel? They don't need to be incarcerated. They need to be rehabilitated. This was one of the recommendations of the Royal Commission. Northern Territory Attorney General Selena Yubo says change is underway. We have the recommendations for the Royal Commission and we have been implementing that as a Territory Labor government. We will decommission Don Dale as a centre itself based on the work of the Royal Commission those couple of years ago and we'll be building a purpose-built new facility that focuses on therapeutic programs for young people. But those directly impacted by the harsh laws on the front line say they can't see any signs of improvement. I find it quite unbelievable that any community, any village, any town can sit comfortably knowing that we are putting children who are all already harmed, already suffering from psychological and traumatic injuries. We can comfortably allow them to be put in a jail. This community, through indifference and complacency and that horrible Australian disease of resignation now, is allowing it to happen. But these women are not. And I think more and more people, it's happening already, are going to join them and say enough is enough. Close down jail. Now. now. We want the communities to be safe. The way to go is to help get our children the care, the therapeutic care that they need to get assessed. Then that ongoing cycle can stop. We want to see that stop. There's no doubt about it. We want Dondale closed now. And that story was brought to us by NITV's flagship program, The Point. This program airs on Tuesday nights at 8.30pm on NITV or Channel 34. And if you miss an episode or want to catch an episode again, this program also streams on SBS On Demand. That's all we have for today. Thank you for your company this Wednesday afternoon. NITV Radio will be back on Friday and the program will be brought to you by Sharka Pekova. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Thank you for your company today. Till next time, Yalu. That's goodbye in Gomeroid language and that's uh, the way I'll be saying goodbye from now on. Till next time, bye for now. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.